And now, with Sound Investing, here's Paul Merriman. I am always looking for some piece of information that will make what I think are one of the most important uh, points that that we have to make about how to make your money grow and, and give you more for retirement and more for those that you leave behind. And sometimes it's a study that's done by a Wharton that, that, that makes an important point. Sometimes it is simply looking at a table of, let's call them just unemotional, straight-line kinds of decisions that one might make that could have an impact over a lifetime. And I've been focusing on these decisions, these forks in the road that might lead to another million dollars. And I'm today I want to talk about the granddaddy of them all. This is the decision that gives you the opportunity. By the way, both as a young investor and as a new retiree, to make a huge difference uh, over whatever lifetime we have left. Now, in order to do one of these studies, to make this point, I have to create assumptions. I'm not so much worried about trying to create returns that, that reflect the ups and downs everyday kind of vibrations that go on in the, in the investment process. I want to look long-term. I want to make an assumption that is similar to the assumption of a lump sum investment. You see, with a lump sum investment, where we put money in one time, we don't take any money out, we don't add any money to it. We just let it go with whatever the market does. And at the end of a period of time, whether it's 50 years or 100 years, there'll be some compound rate of return of having held that particular uh, investment. And that return reflects all the possible combinations you might have had. So that whether there's a 50% loss the first year or the last year or the middle year, it doesn't change the lifetime return. That is the uniqueness of looking at a lump sum investment. The minute, the minute that you start adding money or taking money out, all of a sudden, it's very important what the sequence of returns might be. So for very young people, we celebrate. We get a terrible first five years, which means that the market is down and dirty and you're buying cheap shares of the S&P 500. And today, I'm going to be talking S&P 500 only in the equity portion of this discussion. On the other hand, for a new retiree, about the last thing that they want is to have the first five years be the worst five years of their retirement in terms of living off of their investments. So there's a uniqueness to the lump sum that allows us to think in a way a very linear way. But at the same time, I want to talk about the accumulation period. I want to talk about the distribution period. So this is going to be a theoretical discussion, but it does not change the important lessons. 
I'm going to come to that fork in the road where we either put our money in bonds or stocks. Now, I'm going to initially be talking about the whole portfolio. I would be talking more than likely to a first-time investor in order to talk about the whole portfolio being committed to equities. But I can tell you, I know lots of people, and I meet more and more people who have been all equities all the time over a lifetime. And so uh, th this is going to be the battle of fixed income versus equities. For the fixed income return that we're going to use, we're going to use 5%. Now, you could legitimately say, how the heck can you use 5%? Because where can you get 5%? Well, it turns out that 5% is the compound rate of return approximately for the intermediate term bond. There have been periods much higher, periods much lower. In fact, I think there was a period where the compound rate of return for 40 years was something like 2.8%. And by the way, even over the last uh, 20 approximate years, uh, that, that uh, bond has compounded at something in the neighborhood of 4.5%. So 5% is just simply saying this. I have no idea what the sequence of returns will be over the next 70 years because that's part of what we're going to be talking about here. But I'm going to use 5% because I think it's legitimate. There'll be periods interest rates are high, periods interest rates are low. And so if we did get 5% and if we did put away $6,000 a year. Now, where does the $6,000 a year come from? It comes because by the time you're 25, you are, particularly if you're a college graduate, but even otherwise, or particularly if you're a couple, it is not illogical to think that there is $500 a month to be put aside for the future. Now, for some of you, I understand that that $500 is hard to come by, but you can always divide these numbers by 50%. But I'm also saying $500 a month for 40 years, I'm not increasing that amount of money one penny. And I'm sure you'll put away more than $500 a month over the long term. And then if you have a company match, bravo. I mean, there's just more money coming in. But I'm keeping these, these variables, and I'm, the, the, the rate of return, the amount of the investment, everything is just even all the way through. So what is the implication if you put away $500 a month over 40 years and you get 5% compound rate of return? At the end of that period of time, you've got $744,000. And then comes the time that you start taking money out and you take out 4% a year. Now, could have taken out more, could have taken out less. Chose 4% because that's the most common number that we see. But taking out 4%, remember, you're making 5 And oh, by the way, you just keep investing in the same intermediate term bond fund 
for your whole 70-year period, 40 years going in and 30 years coming out. And why do I feel comfortable talking about taking money out for 30 years? Because the studies today, the newborn child has a 50-50 shot of being alive through 100. In fact, it's over 100. Depends on what country you come from, but the U.S., I think it's uh, 103 is this that 50-50 point. We're living longer, expected to. So to take the, this investment through age 95, but that that makes sense to me, investing from 25 to, to 64 and then retiring 65 to 95. So what do I know about what you're going to take out? Well, I know, looking at this table, that that first year you're going to take out almost $30,000. Now, of course, we've got the first problem is inflation has been chugging along uh, over the, the, the previous uh, uh, 40 years while you were investing. And yes, you were making more than inflation. It's not like like you weren't keeping up with inflation. But let's keep that $30,000 in mind. And because you are taking out 4% and you are making 5% over the years, that annual payout is going to increase, not by a lot, maybe by $40, $50 a year. But at the end of the 30 years, your final payout at age 95, would be 37500 So you go from about 30000 to 30000 37500 And what's interesting is when we add up all of those withdrawals, that's part of the real return you get on your investment, it's a little over a million dollars. So even just putting away money in a five-year interest rate kind of bond fund would would get you a million dollars worth of income. And oh yeah, there's what's left over to those who were not waiting for our death, but they received something at our death. And that amount is about $945,000. So your, your $6,000 a year, $500 a month, over 40 years or $240,000 ends up in total having produced about $1,950,000. So for some people, that might sound like a pretty good deal, very low risk. The problem is the returns of equity from the best to the worst are not much different in terms of uh, like let's say from 2.8 uh, up to around 8 if you looked at intermediates there were periods where you would have had 40 year periods you, you made as little as 2.8 maybe as much as 8 and it's the same with equities except instead of being 2.8 to 8 it's 8.9 to 12.5 so the the this assumption of a 10% return not 12.5 not 8.9 is because that is the return from 1928 to 2020 
And, and if you looked at the average 40-year period, the average return of the S&P 500 is 11%. I'm talking compound rate of return. So in a way, I'm going to understate what might happen to you, is likely to happen to you, and I'm going to use 10% as the compound rate of return. And just as radical as the idea that all you do is put all your money in fixed income, some people will do that, most will not. But at the other end of radical would be having all of your money in equities all of the time over the entire lifetime to fund whatever it would fund. And by the way, this may not be all of your money, but this could be a portion of your money that you do not touch. You leave it to go and grow, and uh, whatever you get is what you get. I, I, I sometimes think of that kind of an investment in the S&P 500 is, is similar to, to being able to buy a company over time. And the reason you buy the company is because someday you're going to sell that company and you're going to live off the proceeds. See, that's what passive investments are about. They, they really aren't typically about trying to fund today when you're working and you have other sources of income. Be, be, it's your personal capital that's at work being paid. But later, it's got to be your financial capital that's going to take care of you. But when we look out over the 40 years of six, $500 a month or 6000 a year, that turns out to be worth $2.8 million. Now I'm thinking back to all fixed income at 5% turning out to be worth 744,000 versus 2.9, for which you took theoretically a lot more risk. Short term, you did. Long term, there's a question as to whether or not you, you took more risk, particularly when we take inflation into consideration. Now, again, using the straight line method where there's no advantage to one year or another, you retire with that $2.8 million and you start taking out 4% a year. Your first year's distribution instead of 30000 is about 112000 your last year's distribution, instead of of thirty seven, thirty eight thousand dollars, is five hundred and forty some thousand dollars. Now I know these numbers are just outrageous, because you only put in two hundred and forty thousand dollars, and when you took the money out, the total distributions were over $8.2 million, and what you had left over for your heirs was $14.3 million, totaling $22.6 million for have, having, having taken that, that made that commitment to, to equities. Now, I know few are going to do that. But again, for young people, I want you just to put this idea in a corner back there of your mind. What about 
if you did it with $1,000 a year? What if you did it with $2,000 a year instead of six? Well, whatever that percentage is, let's say you do it with 3,000. It means instead of taking having 22.6 million, you have 11 million plus, okay? And that's the payoff for having the, the not only the delayed gratification of, of saving over spending, but also putting up with the short-term movement of the stock market, which scares so many people. In fact, it scares some to just totally bailing out. Just talked to a guy last night at a at a gathering, and and uh, uh, early uh, last year he he just got out because he saw kind of the one of those end of the world things. Well, here's here's the reality: few will do it all all the time, and those that do will probably have a lot of money to spend and a lot of money to leave. I said probably. The odds historically are certainly in their favor and certainly compared to making 5%. Now, what about, and this is why I take it to this radical and on the one side all equities and then all fixed income on the other because what it is we have to, to deal with probably is something in between. But you can see basically Every time you add 10% equity to the portfolio, it creates a better return long term. So for those of you who really do not want to go in the stock market with any of your money, all I'm asking you to consider is just 10% because that in and of itself has had up one, in essence, it's going to be one tenth of that two point six million that you're going to get some piece of. I'm sorry, that was twenty twenty two point six million. So what happens if, in fact, you did have ninety percent in bonds and ten percent in stocks? Well, the first thing that's going to happen is the portion you put in bonds is going to go down by 10%. So instead of having $774,000 at the end of the 40 years, you're going to have about 670000 And instead of ending up with about $1,900,000 something between distributions and, uh, uh, and what you leave to others, it's going to be about one point eight. Okay. So you're not going to have as much in fixed income, but instead, what you're going to do is you're going to have that 10%. By the way, uh, that means that you're going to be investing $50 a month of the 6000 This is not sticking your neck out very far. But what do we know happens when you have that $50 a month? Well, it is kind of surprising that that lousy $50 a month turns out to be worth about $280,000. So you gave up about $70,000 to end up 
with uh, uh, about an additional 200000 uh, over what you gave up. Okay, so it's not like it's a home run because it's only 10%. But it's 10% that over your lifetime uh, gave you payouts, just that 10% of $824,000 left your heirs with about a million four. So the, the total the total of the equity only 10% created 2.259 million dollars so at the end of the day uh, that was a 2 million dollar advantage over having all of your money in fixed income that's 10% now I'm thinking you might be wanting to figure out, could you pick up another $2 million if you put another 10% in? Yes, that is the message I want you to get. And now I want to talk to the retirees or those getting close to retirement, thinking about how much equity to have in the portfolio. We have so many tables showing distributions but in this case, I want to focus on one equity investment, and that will be, again, the S&P 500. Because of all the equity asset classes, that probably is, or the total market index, which has virtually the same long-term return. But that's a conservative way to have equities while you're in retirement. It's also conservative while you're building towards your retirement. You have seen the fine-tuning tables. I'm just going to tell you the bottom line over a 51-year period. A 40% S&P 500 and a 60% fixed income compounded at 8.9%. The 50-50 strategy, 9.9%. I know it's not the half a percent difference I talk about so much, but it is four tenths. It's close. So we can see over a 30-year period. Now, because I'm going to look at actual 30-year period, we have lots to pick from. I just chose, because we have these tables, table 46 is the S&P 500 and the bonds uh, with a 4% distribution. We call this the conservative distribution. 3% is the very conservative. 5% is the moderate. But here's what I know about the flexible distribution where every year we take out 4% at the beginning of the year. I see from 1970 through 1999, starting with a million dollars. By the way, if you're, if you're doing what I'm suggesting, young people, you're going to have a lot more than a million dollars from everything I know about the past. Even if all you're able to put away eventually is 500 a month. So, 
at the end of the 30 years from 1970 to 1999, a terrible beginning, the first 10 years, include one of the worst bear markets ever. But then in the 90 through 99, one of the best decades ever. So some bad times and some good times. And it is a little bit uh, uh, important to, 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 to understand that when you start out with the first decade being the bad decade, that is not to your advantage. So we're fighting that to begin with. But at the end of the 30 years, starting with a million, taking the distribution of 4% a year, you would have taken out $3.3 million in distributions, and you will have an end value of 7.2. So that's a whale of a great outcome over the 30 years that that could have been your 65 to 95. On the other hand, if you just took 10% more equity, the value at the end of the uh, 30 years would be about 8.1 million, almost about a, almost a million more than the year-end balance using the 40% equity. Now we're in 50% equity. And the distributions, instead of 3.3, are about 3.6. You picked up to about $300,000 in distributions. There it is, a million-dollar difference between distributions and, and what it was worth at the end of the 30 years because of four-tenths of 1%, because you had 10% more equity in the portfolio. Now, the good news is, this is pretty easy to see in the past. The bad news is, the future won't look like the past. But, you know something? Probably, in many ways, it will. There'll be good years and bad. And I wish... I wish, I wish I had the time, the energy to sit with each one of you and go through this process to help you determine where is the emotional breaking point, where is the financial breaking point, what part of the process don't you understand. You know I'm coming back to you and I'm going to show you the same decisions except not just with the S&P 500. I'm going to have some combination of the S&P 500 and maybe some value. And that's going to change the picture. But it is still this big, huge question, how much in stocks and how much in bonds. And that will be likely the biggest driver of all. The fact that you use small cap value, yeah, that could that that could be a big deal. But by the time by the time you get up to the kind of numbers that just having the S and P five hundred create, that may be enough. We'll see. Hope this helps. Uh, and and I hope that if there's somebody uh, getting ready for retirement or or just getting started as an investor that you might share this podcast 
Uh, we certainly appreciate it when people write reviews regarding our podcasts, and uh, and referrals are are so important to us. Thanks for all that you do in helping us spread the word. Let's just hope that what we do helps you put more money in your pocket. That was Paul Merriman with Sound Investing. Sound Investing, soundinvesting.com and paulmerriman.com are produced and exclusively owned by Paul Merriman, who is solely responsible for their content. For more information, free articles, mutual fund recommendations, and more, visit paulmerriman.com.